The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. Welcome to the Forever Fab Podcast. It is the podcast dedicated to fashion, the art of living well, and all things beauty. I'm your host, Dr. Shirley Madere, your purveyor of this definitive source of living a beautiful life. This week's episode is dedicated to openness. The name of this week's episode is Transition, Transformation, and Transcendence. How transgender activism may teach us to evolve and let go. Welcome everyone to my interview with Ms. Jody Patterson. Hi, Jody. How are you? Thank you so, so much for joining. My pleasure. You know how much I love being around you. <laughs> it is so mutual. I'm so sorry that it has to be in the context of social distancing, but the fact that I get to see you and hear you is fantastic for me. Thank you for joining. I feel the same way. Hi, hi, hi. Hi. So a not so brief introduction. I couldn't help myself because you are indeed the personification of Wonder Woman. So... I'm going oh, to give it, see it. I, I see it, I see it, the glitter, the metallic, I love it. I wore glitter eyeshadow just for you today. <laughs> like, and this is probably every single person that I know. It's just a series of maneuvers every day. Every this, day. Our roof is leaking. Yeah. In places That's crazy. In a, that, we, that we live under, right? So the roof is leaking. It's hard to find someone who's going to help me. Yes. Um, and I just had to take everything. People books, clothing with my office and move it out of the room and to sort of isolate that room. So, you know, and then, and then make breakfast and then get to you and then walk the dog. And so I put my, my wonderful- <laughs> 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 Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, it sounds like uh, you are living the themes, isolation, separation, detoxing, clearing out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh. So, Ms. Jody Patterson, you are a social activist on top of Wonder Woman, indeed. You're an author, an entrepreneur, you're a founder, you're a creator. You have a very rich life, and you simply make beautiful things happen, if I say so myself. So, Jody Patterson created the cosmetics companies Dubop and Georgia, reflecting her distinctive voice within the beauty industry. Dubop launched in 2014 and is an online beauty marketplace catered to women of color. Kudos to that. And Georgia by Jody Patterson is an all natural line of skincare. Congratulations on that too. Those brands have received notable press and outlets including the New York Times, Glamour, Vogue, uh, Japanese Vogue, Teen Vogue, Moore, Essence, Ebony, Uptown and Domino among so many others. And in 2014, you were awarded the Beauty Skin Expert of the Year by Cosmopolitan. I forgot about that, I was. Yes, honey, I found it. I found it. (laughs) 
Before entering the beauty industry, you served as director of PR for fashion for a fashion designer, Zach Posen. So sorry to see him go. And you oversaw his press outreach, his public appearances, speech writing, and fashion week management. For a number of years, you also ran your own boutique PR agency, which I did not know. And you worked closely with formidable brands like Nike, Virgin, uh, Virgin Records, Sean John, and the Lincoln Center. Some of those brands who, thank goodness, are really helping to give back to the community during this pandemic. And to your entrepreneurial resume, you also added that you're the co-owner of the acclaimed Joe's Public Theater in New York City, and you helped to develop their marketing and promotion strategy for the groundbreaking launch. Now, you know, check. When, yes. when things are planned, they sound so impressive. And I would—I just want to jump in because it's starting to give me this anxiety. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like when, when people start to talk about your accolades, but a lot of all of this was collaboration. Every yes. single thing we talked about was collaboration. And as an entrepreneur, um, we know this. It's like you have a title. It might be co-owner. You have a title and it might be yes. CEO, but it's collaboration from beginning Agreed. to end. And it just, I can't, I, I look back at all the things that I've done. And I think yes. all of the people that I've worked with yes. uh, from, from husbands <laughs> to ex-husbands, yes. Yes. partners, and that's what's been able to allow me to do all of this sort of really vast work. Understood. And I, I thank you for saying that because I, too, believe in the spirit of collaboration. There are so many things in my life I couldn't have done or can't get, get done without the help of other people. I must say this also, that as women and as professional women, um, you know, we're, we're strapped with you know, imposter syndrome, we're not feeling enough, or, oh, it's not me, it's, it's everybody else. I want to take this time. And I'm going to go on with your bio. <laughs> I want to take this time to acknowledge you, um, those people who came together to help you, to assist you, to collaborate with you, were drawn to you. So I'm going to take a couple more minutes to give you the credit you absolutely deserve and more, honoring those who collaborated with you, but also honoring you as the individual who helped to make it happen. Okay, so to continue, check this out. Here's a fun fact. Even before your career, right, you started as a state champion gymnast and a circus acrobat, and you performed for the Big Apple Circle. Hello. <laughs> I love it. Linguistically, you're also a champ. You studied literature and went on to spend several years working at publishing houses such as Scholastic and the New Press. And we'll talk about how you have your um, publishing um, accolade momentarily. On top of this, you're the mother of five, yeah. including an eight-year-old transgender son, Penelope, correct? He is now 12. He is 12, excuse me, so 12 years old. And he became the catalyst for a fundamental re-examination of your identity, your sense of self, your, your family dynamic, um, all deeply appreciating not only your household and this son, but also the world. As a result, you're a fierce LGBTQI ally and activist. You are especially advocate for transgender children, and your activism has been praised and recognized by Hillary Clinton, GLAAD, Family Circle, Cosmopolitan, Yahoo, Refinery21, so many other outlets. You're an international speaker, and you are the author of The Bold World, which we'll talk about, a memoir of family and identity, and that was published by Penguin, House, Rand Penguin Random House. And you're, it's also being considered for a TV series. Do I hear that right? You... <laughs> How did you get all this information? You're like a, a resource of all the like the nitty gritty. Yes. Uh, it's being looked at by this fabulous team of women 
And I will just say that, that women, several women who have an incredible reputation and history in the field um, have it under their wing and are um, working their magic on this story to bring it to life in series form. Wow. And again, another collaboration, just not one woman, but like a lot of women come together. So that's That's right. We're going to talk about your tribe later. You have many tribes. In 2017, you gave a TEDx talk in Germany, right? It was called Gender is Obsolete. Love really, it. really dramatic title. Yes, very dramatic title. But I, I, I meant to look that up. But everybody listening, please go find that TEDx talk by Jody Patterson. Gender is obsolete. Your work is tireless, Jody. This is why your bio is so rich and so full, as is your life. Um, uh, do I have it right that you're the newly elected chair for the board of directors of the human? Is it the human rights campaign? Yeah. So the human rights campaign is an organization that I've been working with for years. Personally, they helped me through, uh, help my family sort of stabilize and understand trans reality um, and find um, support. And then I was uh, elected the chair of the board of the Human Rights Campaign Foundation. And And you are the, are you the only woman, woman, the only black woman or the only woman, the first woman? Black woman to be chair of the board foundation, yeah. Wow, congratulations. I'm not sure. You know, sometimes I, I I hear it for the I hear about these firsts. Yes, first first black woman too, and the way yeah. I look at it, less of um, a mirror of me. I've been doing me for a long time. I've been really good at me, and yes. it's more of a of the organizations and of the culture. The culture is just now starting to see us. Yes, and um, you know, I'm not dissing the culture. I'm just saying that. When you look at places where they have the first black woman, it is a recognition that they are breaking through. Yes. They are seen differently. We, there are many great ones in, in, in our community. There yes. are so many great women. Um, and so I, I always like to say, this is a reflection of the change that's happening outside. We have been phenomenal for so many years. And yes. so many. Amen. Uh, yeah. So, well, congratulations to that. You are also sitting on the board of the um, advisory board for the Ackerman Institute of Gender and Family Projects. And you're on the advisory team for both Mount Sinai's Transgender Health Center and the Community of Unity, which is also a non-for-profit organization serving underserved kids in New York City public schools. Lastly, you live in Brooklyn, New York, where you raise your children with love, obviously education and family solidarity. Welcome Jody to the Forever Fab podcast. (laughs) <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. That was very deep to hear. To hear your to hear uh, your life through the the words and the mouth from someone that you really respect is is a great thing. And one of the things I really appreciate about this time is that we actually are spending um, more time talking with each other. And yes. some days it's much. I know I've done like five zooms some days, but the but the essence of it is great. We're actually speaking with yes, each other. Speaking, I see you, gorgeous. I see, I see you. So first question, let's dig right in. How did you start in the beauty industry and what motivated you to seek to contribute more beauty to the world? So I was, this was so so many moons ago, I was working for Zach Post, who's a friend of mine and a designer. I was his director of PR and um, I was pregnant with my second child and I was trying to keep it a secret because, <laughs> the, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a grueling industry. Yes doesn't always welcome pregnant women. 
Um, and so I was trying to keep it a secret. And of course, my belly was growing. And eventually, I had to tell Zach and the team that I was pregnant. And in the end, I chose to, well, actually, I was put on bed rest by my doctor. Okay. I was doing too much. Yeah. And so, <laughs> no kidding. I know, right? <laughs> like on bed rest, um, my niece sent me a documentary on um, the history of black hair care. And it just, and I, it was a several part series and it talked about how the business of black hair care used to be a mom, a very insular business that we were making products for ourselves and we were owning our own stores. And then gradually over time, other communities came in and, do, and then dominated our own beauty. Not yes. only the, business, the culture of it and the, the um, presentation of it. Yes. Of it. And so I just thought from my bed, pregnant with my second child that I would do something in beauty because why not? It's something I enjoy. It's something I know. And it's felt like um, something I could do with my family. Yes. Yes. My children with, you know, the, the sisters that I have and the mother that I have, I just didn't think I it was something that I didn't have to do and isolate my family from. Yes. Of course, pregnant, you're thinking collectively, like, what can I do with my baby? And my <laughs> and so really naively opened up <coughs> a beauty boutique <clears throat> in Manhattan. Yes. I didn't know anything about retail. Hold on. <coughs> so I kind of like real, uh, unrealistically and very optimistically opened up a beauty boutique in lower Manhattan, knowing nothing of merchandising, knowing nothing of buying, knowing, but just knowing a lot about beauty and um, what I wanted as a customer. And the store was supposed to be for women like you and me. Yes. Brown hair. Yes. And the irony of it was, you know, for the first two years, it was just white women and Asian women. Interesting. And I had handpicked all this great beauty product that I thought would be great for black women and brown women from all over the world. Yes. Great for us. And it turned out just women, Asian women, white, eventually brown women, black women enjoyed it. So that was my first uh, dip into beauty. I had my own store and then I created my own beauty line products. And then I had my own small salon, my my own uh, hair boutique. Yes. And that eventually morphed into an online store called Dubop, right. which was selling product online and running a magazine around beauty and identity online. And then I sold that <laughs> eventually. <laughs> yes, you did. To um, the folks who had Shea Moisture at the time. Wonderful. Now, while you were doing all of this, what were you, what would you say were some of the challenges that you met, whether it was in the beauty business or whether it was doing the business and having a second child, what were some of the biggest challenges then? Um, you know, I'd say in the beginning, retail is, is very much um, mercurial and it depends on the weather. It depends on a holiday. It depends on the mood of your sales team. Exactly. The mood of the consumer. The mood of the consumer. And a lot of times in, in New York, you know, our stores are underneath apartments. Yes. So it was dependent on if our neighbor upstairs remembered to turn the water off. Yes. And it flooded into our store. It was just a constant grind. And we had to be really um, nipped to react and respond to critical situations, right? Like flood, like no money <laughs> to pay. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was like, an eye-opener to kind of figure out you had a plan yesterday circumstances changed how do we pivot in the in the immediate right now right that's a a mental flexibility tool that I had to learn really quickly as an entrepreneur 
And in 2015, in a Facebook post, against something I, I dug and found, dug for and found out. Uh, one of your staff members wrote, quote, we built our business around storytelling. To us, what women are thinking is more important than how we are looking. So with all of your experience in your beauty career and what did that experience and Dubop teach you about beauty and women of color or women in general and what exactly women are thinking about when it comes to beauty? What did you discover? What I was thinking at the time was that, you know, there's so much conversation around our eyelashes and <laughs> our cheekbones and the size of our lips and the size of our hips and the wave, the density to our wave in, the, in our hair, right? And we, were, we had been micromanaging our bodies and other people had been micromanaging our bodies. And what I was concerned with and I, what I knew was there was this intense brain activity <laughs> that women also, right? We have an intense ability to visually see things. We have an intense ability to, to create things and to dissect things mentally. And I wanted to get into the mental part of it. Ah, uh, yes. So that wasn't about rejecting beauty because clearly I was in the beauty industry and I love beautiful yes. things, but it was about yes. taking the first step. What do women think about? And then we'll understand what they purchase. And then we'll understand why they chose the red lipstick versus the pink today. Yes understand what it really means to adorn your hair right yeah was I was interested in and I still am interested in what's happening on the inside that then comes out as presentation yes you and I have that in common we've talked a lot about that about the psychology of beauty the, the motivation um, for wanting to feel more attractive or beautiful is it's powerful and um and it really informs my practice, at least, of holistic plastic surgery or holism, because for me, I try to understand what the motivation is and what's going on on the inside and how I can help that manifest in a beautiful way on the outside. I can completely agree with you. And I think it allows us to not have to be so polarized in our ideas. Like, yes. well, if you like beauty, then you're superficial. You know, right. If you like to write books, then you're, you know, too intellectual. Yeah. And I think beauty and intellect and the spirit and the physicality, the faith, and the in the moment, all of that can exist in one woman, right? Yes, 100%, or they all exist along a spectrum, and sometimes we're on one end of the spectrum, sometimes in the middle. Yeah, I hear you, That's that's been, I've been trying to push that for years now. So gathering everything that you've learned about beauty and in beauty and your beautiful experiences in life, one last question about the industry, what do you think the state of beauty is today and where do you see the, the industry going in the future, especially in light of what's going on? I think that the, the industry of beauty and even I'll, I'll include the industry of fashion from my perspective, from the yes. brands that I'm looking at reach out to me. It has really understood that the brand is the woman, that the motivation is um, and that what matters most around business, not it's not economics first, it's emotion first. That will drive economics, right? That yes. will drive purchase. That, but the authenticity of a brand and of the success of a company um, is here, <laughs> all of this, right? So I think what I'm learning and what I'm really excited to see is that brands are wanting to speak with women and wanting to understand women so that their companies become like a woman. Right. They don't become like machines anymore. Yeah. At least the brands that I know of and the, the brands that are really trying to push through this crisis, yes. they're calling, like, what, who are your, who are your girl tribe? Who are your women? What are they talking about? You know, what are you really doing? Not the color of lipstick. 
right? Not the type of um, dress that you're wearing, but what's happening in here. And that's what that's really interesting to me and really inspiring that brands are starting to think like a woman. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you're saying they're starting to think. I would have, one would have thought that forever the foundation of a beauty company was that it, their products were a reflection of the consumer, but obviously they've gotten away from that, even if they did start that way. So I'm going to quote you on that. I love it. Emotion first, that will drive economics. So let's talk about some interesting things, other things you've done in your life. Um, physicality. You were a gymnast and an acrobat, and you actually performed for the Big Apple Circus years ago, right? <laughs> what, what valuable lessons did you learn about performing and huge crowd and, performing, you know, yeah. risky things? Did you learn valuable life lessons about fear, about taking risk? And did those experiences leave you with a new perspective about the direction you wanted to go in life? Absolutely. In my house, sports was a um, non-negotiable. So you yeah. could pick your, but you had to do a sport. And so uh, often we, I, I chose gymnastics and tennis. Um, and it was, you know, if you can master the fundamentals on the court, the tennis court, you can master the fundamentals of life. Yes. And in karate, it's the same way. My children are into, one of my kids is into karate and the master says, it's, it's always the basics. And then you take those basics and you do them over and over again. And that is where you get through. That's how you break through. That's how you become a champion by mastering the basics. Um, and through gymnastics and circus, I really learned to, um, one, find gratitude in small incremental accomplishments. So yeah. you don't go day and learn a backflip. It's like week after month, after month, after a year, then you perfected the backflip. But I like to see small measures of success. And that to me, I know I'm going to get to the backflip. So I learned how to appreciate small measures of success, incremental gain. I also learned flexibility. Yes. Every day you work on physical flexibility. And if you look at the studies, mental flexibility is tied to physical flexibility. So I now talk to my family about being mentally flexible. Yes. Right being able to wrap your brain around really big foreign concepts. Right. Um, I also learned like to zo to get in the zone, which yes. some people call a prayer, um, but athletes do this. And if you yes. listen to the Calm app, there's, there's some really great meditations by athletes and they talk about it, um, about how you have to zone out everything else and tune out the noise and really get into either it's the basketball or the bat, the, the hoop or the balance beam, yeah. but really, Zoning in um, and tuning up the noise. These are some of the things that I've learned. And then taking a taking a, a leap, you know, taking a fucking leap. Yeah. It's um, nothing you can overly talk about. You have to have been trained to do it. And then if you haven't in the past, you can start now training yourself to take these physical, mind-blowing, scary leaps. Um, and athletes know that. And so, you know, it's it, they're not without you sort of understand the risk and you, they're not reckless is what I'm saying. These aren't yes. reckless. Right. They're leaps, but they still require an element of faith. Absolutely. I don't know if you're going to land on that damn beam. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, you will. And if you don't, you know that a net will appear. Exactly. Right. So take that leap. Even when the net isn't there, take that risk, knowing that along the way <laughs> down, Hope, you know, a, a net will appear. I, I love that too. That's fantastic. And when you talk about just being in the zone, 
Um, for me, I, I'm going to have to apply those little steps toward my handstand practice in yoga because it's been years and I, I just can't get it done. So little steps of being in the zone and in the flow and appreciating those basic little steps. And one day I'll be on my hands upside down. Yeah. You, you are the author of The Bold World. And you state in the book that had you would not have written that book had you not been, quote, slapped in the face by life. So explain what that means. Well, you know, uh, I have to take us back a bit. So at the time, um, I have five children. and, And I had one, and then I had a break for several years. And then I did three back to back. And then I adopted one. And so by my 40s, I found myself a happy mom of five. Wow. And I had was on my second marriage, my second relationship. And I was an entrepreneur. I had my beauty store. Life was really dense every yeah. morning, you know, every afternoon, every night. There were lots of darts coming at me that I had to deal with from yes. children's husband to ex-husband, right, to yes. myself. And I was juggling as we do, and I was um, trying to surf the wave, but I felt like I was actually getting about to be overtaken by the wave of life. Ah, I was seeing it coming, that it was just too much, too much, too much. And then the straw that broke the camel's back, my third child, who we named Penelope, said to me one day after a year of just being so unhappy and so angry and Mm. so probably nightmares, uh, reoccurring nightmares, biting nails until bloody. Wow. Uh, refusal to dress, refusal to go outside. I finally sat Penelope down and I asked, what is, what is so wrong, baby? Why are you so angry? And it was the first time I'd asked Penelope that question. Yes. And Penelope answered very clearly, mama, because everyone thinks I'm a girl and I'm not. I am a boy. Wow. And that was, it was a slap because it was not, Penelope came in peace. It wasn't an aggressive approach from Penelope, but the reality that I had no understanding of what the reality was, yes, was the yes. slap. That's like when you wake up from a, a, a dream or a sleep is when you are sh- almost, when, the, when um, I'll tell you this, when, the coll- when there's a collision. Yeah. And the collision was what I thought was life versus what Penelope was experiencing as life. They collided and I felt that as a slap and I thought, oh shit, let me, let me really investigate. Yeah. Going on. Mm. It took years, years, but I understand Penelope to be transgender, not to be angry, but to be a kid who was trying as best as he could to explain it to me. And I was just so busy, 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 busy that I didn't pick up on the signs. I am just impressed with Penelope that that need for self-expression and authenticity. He he was so sure of that and just had to get it out that, especially at that age, is beyond courageous. Beyond. We raise my kids to be um, activists and outspoken people and free thinkers. And half the time I tell you, I'm not even sure if I'm doing the right thing because they're mouthy and they're (laughs) sassy. Yeah, they're just, you know, they're what, what my mother considers rude and what <laughs> is rude. And they're like, mom, we're just trying to tell you how we feel. We're just yeah. trying to 
show you that this is the way you're doing it isn't right. Um, and I, I get a lot of that from them, a lot of mouth. But in, ideally, if you let it play out, you have guidelines, you have structure, and you let your kids speak up right now because they got to speak up when they leave the house. Yeah, that's true. And so I see my 20-year-old. So, like, my young kids feel annoying a lot of the times to me. Yeah. my girl, who I've tested this out now, she is an independent, free-thinking uh, woman who is empowered. She's driving her, her, her life. And so that's, I think, you know, reason to keep this strategy up of letting well my done. speak their mind. Well done. Well done, Jody. You also mentioned, even before The Bold World, you also mentioned that you wanted to write a book for some time. And I don't know how much time before uh, you actually wrote The Bold, um, Bold World, but at what point in your life did you decide that you were ready to write a book? And I know that you said that life slapped you in the face with Penelope's declaration, but even before that, were you motivated to write a book and why? I have been thinking about writing for uh, writing a book for years. I'm a I'm a writer. I'm a I study liter- literature at Spelman, and I'm always journaling and I'm always okay. writing. Okay. I'm always phone. So that was I had five books in my head, yes. um, and I I chose the timing was based on um, a lot of things. I sold my company. Yes. So I had a little bit, I had a couple of months where I could relax. Yes. <laughs> Not months to relax. Um, and I had a time, a, a partner, a husband who was committed um, to the fight to supporting me financially. And so I could carve out an entire summer where I wrote a proposal and it was something that had been sort of burning in my brain, but I had a busy life and I didn't have the ability to carve out the time. So thank you. You know, thank God for some blessings. I could carve out the time. I spent a summer writing a proposal. Um, and then it sort of just domino from there where I found an agent and an editor that was fantastic. And it took about two and a half years to finish that book. But, wow. I, but I'll say always in me, I wanted to write. I wasn't yes. sure how to make time, but I also wasn't sure the exact story yes. I was going to tell. And it... Now the story became very clear. Yes, time to really devote to it. And I know a lot of women have something inside of them that they're trying to get out, and it's we're up our backs are up the wall because we don't have a lot of time on our hands. Right. We need creators need quiet. Creators need space. Creators need a door to close. And as moms, as Black women, we don't always have that. We rarely have that. You've just listened to part one of Forever Fab podcast. Please stay tuned for part two coming up next.